This is the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode, as this will help me find my audience. What you are about to hear is part of a series. Listen to the introduction episode for a full explanation and important context. Being ready for something doesn't really mean anything. We could say that being ready for something means you've made peace with your idea of what it's going to be or what it is. And depending on what it is, well, that idea has to be shattered because you don't know what it is. You can't know what it is. And what you mean by I am ready really should mean you're okay with making your way into uncharted territories. And each thing does unfold in a sort of progression. There are so few moments where things are suddenly thrown upon us. There are so many times when there are big things, of course, but even those things are gradual. Even those things we somehow see coming. And yet, I have to swallow my words, because the opposite is always true as well. Or at least in this case it appears so. Because we do experience moments which we weren't ready for. Or we didn't want. Or we don't like. We experience moments where it does seem sudden. Very sudden. And very contrasting. And in retrospect we can create explanations as to how things were building or leading towards certain events that appear to be sudden. But all of this is just more games of explaining things and having ideas of things. And it's occurred to me that anything I say about myself is invalid. Anything I think about myself is going to be incomplete at best, if not completely wrong. And I feel that the thing or one of the things that I hope to remember and I wish I had remembered sooner was that I have been other things than what I am now. And that's not to say that I can necessarily be those things again, although many times I do think that. I feel a returning of something old, and I welcome it, because it's much better than how I've been recently or I am currently. What I am now is subject to change into something new or something old, 
And I'd probably say that it happens more often to something old. It happens more often into something familiar. And it's so clear to me that the mind is finite. The mind in these thoughts and all these things that we're discussing, they're, they're on a level field. They're on one plane. And there's only so much we can do with that. If we're really trying to push out of it, if we're really trying to expand, that is. If we're not trying to go beyond, then there's no problem with staying within that band. There's no problem with doing all sorts of things. We can make things neat. We can make things complex. We can make things interesting. We can explore things. We can have all sorts of adventures. But to go beyond the mind, you have to see the limits of it. You have to see how finite it is. And you have to see its inadequacies. And seeing the inadequacies of something is rather difficult, especially in something that has served us for so long, something that has served you for so long, something that you have relied on so much. And just think how much the mind has done for you. It's told you who you are. It's told you what you're doing. It's told you how you are. It's told you why the things are the way they are. And to step back and say, now all those things are wrong, all those things are inadequate, can leave one with a very profound sense of inadequacy. And this is two kinds of things when we're talking about a personal image or the self, or how one sees what one is. Because we can talk about adequacy, as in, are you doing an adequate job within a functioning scenario? And that's all set upon a number of parameters, which can be pretty straightforward and pretty clear. In that meaning of the word adequate, it's quite easy to use that word. It's quite simple. But the other side of the term inadequate is the one we're talking about, is the one I'm interested in here with what we seem to be delving into at the moment, which is these things that the mind does that have appeared to be adequate and are actually inadequate. And these are big things. These are the things that are structural, the things that run the whole workings of one's life, things like perspective, things like who you are, why you're doing what you're doing, how things work, what will lead to what. That's a very big one. What will lead to what? What is, what is the consequence of what you're doing? What is the consequence what will come after? Why is it that what you're doing now, sorry, how is what you're doing now related to what will come? And right in there, there's a kind of bridge between the present and the future. There's a kind of relationship there. 
And in my mind, it's easy to think of this phrase of, oh, don't worry about the future or stop living in the future or the future isn't known, these sorts of phrases. You sort of get this idea that the future is some fluffy thing that you keep in your mind and it's hazy and it comes around every now and then as a thought about the future. When really the mind doesn't work like that because it's much more close to what's actually happening. Because what you're doing is in at least some ways relation to your ideas of the future. Which means that it's not just a fluffy idea. The future is not just stuff in your mind. It's actually also what you're doing. And it's not easy to separate those two things. It's not easy to separate in real time things that you're doing, behaviours, or even things that you're feeling with your idea of the future. And the question might be, well, what to next? What can we rely on? What can we work with if the mind can't tell you what you are, if your thoughts are not accurate for what's actually going on, if all these words are just collapsing words that have no use? Where is there that we can be? What can we do? What is there? What else is there? What happens when we do go beyond the mind? What happens when we do break out of the limits of that finite way of thinking or thought altogether? Well, that's the exact thing that can't be said. That's the exact thing that can't be talked about. And it is a space. It's a kind of it's a kind of space. It's not exactly a feeling. It's not exactly a sensation. It's something that occurs which makes words seem small and all language seem small. It's something that occurs which sort of pushes that into something. It pushes the mind into something which is bigger than it. You become bigger than the mind. And so often the mind seems to be the biggest thing. It seems to be the most dominant thing. So often thinking reigns. And thoughts just seem to be real. They really do seem to be real. They're pronounced. They're so tangible. They have such a burring on the current experience, the current state of affairs, the way things are. And there must be a reason for this. There must be some way to how we got this way. And it's not to say that we should do away with thinking. Transcending into a larger space than the mind is not the same as stopping thinking. It's not the same as saying we should do away with thoughts. Now, when you stop thinking, you do see the field that is behind thinking. You get a glimpse of it. And maybe that's the way into it. That's the, maybe that's the way that it can become, it can make the 
bridge, it can make that leap for you. So you stop thinking for some time and then you get a glimpse of that wider field. And for so much time, I think you want to stop thinking because of how many thoughts you have that aren't really helpful. And it might even be that you're telling yourself these things of the inadequacies of the mind because you want to get away from it. It's a kind of resistant to it. And of course it does occur to me that the things you say about yourself or the mind says about you, you just might not like. The mind might be telling you that you're not a good person, that you're not of value, that there's no use to you. And if that's the case, we need to look at your motivations for wanting to transcend the mind. Why would you want to transcend the mind? Why would you want to go into that space of beyond? Is a longing for the beyond simply an escapism for what's happening, for how things are? And this does also make it sound like we have a choice in the matter. It sounds like we are an agent that is navigating in and out of these things, or we have some sort of autonomy. There's someone that can actually do these things. And maybe at certain times you are someone who can do those things. But the truth is that you are not always someone who can do those things. There are times when you are stuck and you can't get yourself out. There are times when you are stuck, you can't get yourself out, and there's no one there to help you, and there's no one there to save you. There's no one there to pull you out, and you have no way of asking for help. And you really are stuck. You really are stuck in that situation. And it's not enough to see through illusion just once or twice or even a few times. It's actually required that you know how to go in and out and also that you remember how when you're stuck. And it might be that to do that, you have to actually go in and out multiple times. You have to go back and forth like an osculation. And there's this analogy that I've heard before. I don't know where, but one of these obscure birds, some rare breed of bird has a, I think it's like an eagle or an albatross, something, something like that. They have this way of training their young to fly, their chicks to fly. And they pick them up on their back and fly them high up into the sky and then drop them. And the chick falls. And then the mama bird flies down and catches it. And then flies it up again and then drops it. And then the chick falls. And that's how certain kinds of birds learn to fly. It's by falling and, well, almost falling to their death, I guess, if they wouldn't learn to fly. And it might be that maybe the mama makes a mistake and they don't catch it. Don't catch the little chick. I don't know. I don't know the details of the workings of such a breed of bird. But the analogy serves us here. 
The analogy is what we're talking about here, which is that you get yourself in a slump and you need to learn to find your way out of it by yourself. But the tricky thing is, the tricky part of it is that we both have to be the learner and the one teaching. We actually have to learn both roles. We have to be the mama bird and the chick bird. And we have to be able to see that that's going on and have both of those within us. Because humans are more complicated. We're not talking about flying. We're talking about psychological slumps. We're talking about emotional black spots. And that's just the beginning of it. There's also existential and spiritual pathologies. Nasty stuff. Not even to say anything of the interpersonal sphere. And I don't want that to be overwhelming. And sometimes it's enough to just remember that it is possible that you have actually done this before. And maybe that can be your calling card for when you're slumped. Have you been in this slump before? Have you been stuck like this before? Has this happened to you before in this way? And I think many times... You'll say, yes, you have been here before. And the trick then is to realize that, well, that means you can get yourself out of it. How did you get yourself out of it last time? And if you feel you didn't, well, then maybe you can say you're still learning. And this is your chance to learn that. And it can be frustrating. I have found myself thinking, why does it take me so long to learn? Why do I have to go into these slumps again and again? Why? Why so many times? And maybe there is just a piece of the jigsaw puzzle that I'm missing. That might be the case. There might be simple and easy solutions out there that I'm not aware of. And that would be an invitation to keep searching. An invitation to keep trying different things. Keep taking people's advice. Keep listening to people's advice. Keep asking people about what they do when they're in a slump. And this is one of the tricky things about having an ever-receding perspective or an ever-morphing perspective. Because so so many things morph and they change and they're suddenly into something different and they become something else and then you find that the sand that you're standing on is withering away. The very ground is sinking beneath your feet. And it's very disorientating. It can be very tricky to see, well, there's actually a wisdom in that space. It's not actually that Things are crumbling before you and things are being destroyed. But it's actually that you're transforming. It's actually that you're going into something new. You're becoming something different. And there is a lot also to the peculiarities of a sense of time. A sense of different things happening at different times. There's, there's something to our ability to have that, which is both 
it, it's both a pain and it's both and and also a a, a unique skill that brings a, a, a glorious richness. There's really two sides to it, which is that we can see that we're not how we were. We can see that we were different. Things haven't always been like this. Things have changed. And the one side of that is that we have the richness of being many things. We have the ability, quite literally, to live many lives. I have been a king. And I have been a beggar. I have been a warrior. And I have been a slave. I have been the god of all creation. And I have been nothing. And yet the other side of it is that, well, we're then tortured by the ones that we favour. We're tortured by the things that we are, by the things that we were. And we wished we were more often, or that we preferred being to what we are. And that must be quite a fundamental issue with the human condition. It's really one of the things that is, well, we could say that it's driving so much of what we want. And it's why there's so much energy put into getting away from what we are, getting away from simply what is, simply being in the moment, if we can still use such cliche spiritual terms. And the fact of the matter is, well, an easy estimation would be to assume that you have been better than you are now. You've been something better in so many ways, in many ways. And we could even say in all the ways, in every way. You have been better. There's a better version of you in the past. And yet also, there's been a worse you, a much worse. And that also means in every way, you've felt much worse than this. You've been much more greedy than this. You've been much more self-destructive than this. And I wonder what it's like to actually realize at the time when you are at those extremes. I wonder if that is actually something that happens at those extremes. It's like saying, it's as simple as understanding, do you know when you are the best you've ever been? Do you know you are the worst you've ever been? Now you might say, there's some things that you've done, the worst things you've ever done, or there are things that you're ashamed of, or things that you're on the other side proud of, things that you've done that are good. And then there's also feelings. You can say, well, I've never felt worse than this. And so on. We can divide this idea of you into so many things, feelings or actions or deeds of function within society. 
or even being as a consciousness, an entity of consciousness, or thinking patterns, or whatever, whatever it is. So many different ways. But the question is, would you know at the time, if you could choose your absolute worst moment, in every sense, would you be able to see it? And the same goes for the best. Have you really known? Did you really know at that time? And it is a thing to say that, well, this is the worst moment of my life. This is the worst thing that I've been through. And somehow in that, there's still there's still the ability to remember that you've been many things and you will be many things. Because you can say, well, this is the worst moment in my life. And if it is, and you're going through that, well, you can also tell yourself that maybe this is the worst that life has for me. Maybe this will be the worst thing I ever go through. Maybe this is the rock bottom. Maybe this is it. And in so many ways, that's quite encouraging. That is very encouraging. Because for one, it means you can survive. It means you can get your way through it. It means you can hold on just long enough for things to change. And for another, it means that, well, you can learn from it. It means that you can actually live the rest of your life without having that happening. And maybe so much of what we're driven to do is in a relation to that. And there's a a whole, a whole bunch of classical psychology which is built up around this idea of towards pleasure and away from pain. There's a whole lot in that. And I can see why it's, I can see why it's appealing. But then another side of it is what happens if you are the best you've ever been and you don't know it? What if that's the case right now? And this just triggers, well, how you feel about yourself. You might say, oh, I hope this isn't the best. Because things aren't very good. And by the same token, you can say, well, maybe this is the best that I have ever been, but maybe things can be better. Maybe things can be even better. And imagine that in your best moment. Imagine that when you're really having everything work for you. And another thing about all this, another thing about these dynamics is that there's a more fundamental insight, there's a more fundamental principle, which is to be what you are. Be what you are at the time that you are, in the place that you are. Because this advice of, Imagining something else while you are your worst or your best as a way of getting out of it or having some sort of relationship to it is still just a way of getting away from it. Things that you tell yourself in your worst and best times distract from the actual experience of being those things. 
and that can form the habit of actually being not what you are. And that's really what we that's where this whole conversation started. That's where we that's where we started this whole thing, which is tell me who tell me who is speaking. Tell me what you are right now. Tell me what's happening right now. Come back to being where you are right now with what's happening here. Remain alert, be present, and say who is speaking. Say what is happening. Tell me what is happening right now so that we can practice getting back to how you are right now. Well, how am I right now? Well, I sort of like, I sort of feel like welcoming the old, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? I'm so terrible at small talk. I hate small talk. It's just so awkward. I'm just so awkward to be around sometimes. But at the moment, because things have been so heavy, I feel a bit, I feel a bit welcoming of just a casual, "Hey, how's it going?" Yep, uh, I'm okay. And I thought of an answer for this. I've sort of been thinking recently about, well, in my lonely, <laughs> in my lonely fantasies, I've been imagining someone coming up to me and saying, "Hi, how are you?" <laughs> In that casual way, God, I must be lonely if I'm having those sort of fantasies. And, well, one of the things I've been thinking is that I've got this cute answer to that question. And the answer goes like this. Someone says, hi, how are you? And I say, well, I'm three things. I'm incredibly good. I'm okay. And I feel like a piece of shit. but not always all at the same time. (laughs) And I don't know who would like that sort of answer. I mean, usually the people that are saying, hi, how are you? They just want to hear, fine, thank you. Or, okay, good, how are you? (laughs) Even just saying three things is too much for them. And really here, well, what are we doing here? (laughs) Some far extreme opposite of that, that's for sure. So how am I? Oh, I feel, I feel I am, I feel like I'm coming out of something. I feel like I have seen, again, just how much I beat myself up. Again, how, how gloomy my own space is. And I have to, I've realized also that I have to be okay with being alone. I have to just resign myself to the fact. I I have to. I just have to give up. And I don't know how that will feed into my relationships. I don't know how that will feed into my sense of love, my sense of warm feelings, my sense of open-heartedness. I don't know. And I'm sure there's a maturity that is coming, which I can't see yet. I'm sure there's a kind of maturing that is happening through this, but I have to, I just have to go back to being okay by myself. And that really, it feel, it doesn't feel like a defeat. I almost said it feels like a defeat. I mean, I've felt in the past that that 
is a defeat, like a closing to relationships. But it doesn't feel the same as that now. It feels a bit different. It's more like, well, let me say it again and see see what happens. I've realized that I need to be comfortable with being alone. 